Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Today we have a topic that is going to one day affect every single believer in Christ. It's a study that I've been thinking on and praying on for several years, and it is my honor to be able to share it with you. Bible's open to 1 Corinthians 15. Our text before us is a part of the picture that is painted in the Word of God of what our future glorified bodies will be. This is one of those studies where we are going to bounce around a little bit in the Word of God, so stick with me the best you can. 1 Corinthians 15, and we start our time with verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And then skip down to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you remember the story of a sailor who was shipwrecked on an island in the southern seas. And he was taken by the native people on this island, and they picked him up and they carried him and put him on a crude-looking throne and proclaimed him king. Now, at first, this man, he didn't think this was too bad. He went from being lost at sea to becoming the king of this island. Now, the people, they treated him with respect and gave him everything he could possibly want or need. But after some time, he began to wonder what happened to the king before him. So he began to ask the people, and they told him that according to their custom, you would reign as king for a year, and during that year, you were treated as royalty. But when the year came to an end, you were then banished to a lonely island where these former kings would die by starving to death. Now, usually 
when the kings found this out, they would either live in constant fear of the future or they would set out to enjoy life as much as they could in the time that they had left. But this man, he had a different outlook. Knowing that he had less than a year before he was banished, he began to make the most of the time he had left. The carpenters were ordered to make boats. Farmers were sent ahead to the other island to plant crops. Other men were sent ahead to build him a home. Great efforts were taken to make sure everything was ready so that when the year was up, this man was not banished to a deserted island, but instead he went to his home that had been prepared for him ahead of time. The words of Christ to the disciples before our Savior went to the cross come to mind. In John 14, it's written that Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus Christ is preparing for us a home in heaven. And then Jesus said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. The end of our time on earth, it's not something we should fear. We must not live our lives in constant fear, dreading the day of our departure, because Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us in heaven. And when our time on this land is done, we are headed to paradise. And one of the most beautiful and exciting facts of the future that Christ has prepared for us is that one day every single believer in Christ will receive a new glorified body. The Word of God, it describes us as being made up of body, soul, and spirit. And when we get saved, our soul is saved from hell. A new spirit is put within, but the body, the body remains the same. And at the rapture of the church, our bodies will be changed. Skip down to verse 50 in our text. Notice the teaching. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood. Here it's used to refer to the bodies we have now. The natural bodies we have now is the context. This is one of the reasons why I believe that the kingdom of Christ is all future, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God in the body that you have now. You're going to need an upgrade. And this is what Paul teaches us will take place at the rapture. Read it again with me in your Bible. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This trumpet blast will call Christians alive at that time home to heaven. Death, it's our last enemy, but God will overtake it for us. Now, during the years that I've been fortunate enough to serve the Lord, I've been asked many, many questions of what our new bodies will be like. And we don't have all the answers, but we can learn quite a bit about what these bodies will be like. First, 
recognize that our future bodies will be like the body of Christ. Head over to Philippians 3.20. Recognizing that our future bodies will be like Christ after his resurrection is one of the guiding principles in the Word of God that unlocks our understanding of this upgrade we're going to receive. Philippians 3, and we'll start with verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think verse 20 is supposed to be an encouragement to the church, but unfortunately it becomes a rebuke because most Christians today do not live like their citizenship is in heaven. And because most Christians today are not looking up, Christians today are not eagerly waiting for the Savior because they're not studying the Word of God and learning about the glorious future we have in Jesus Christ. Verse 21, notice this. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. The transformation of our bodies is so that we might enter the kingdom of God and so that our future bodies will be conformed to his glorious body. The teaching is look to the day when our salvation is made complete in him. Head over to 1 John 3. I want you to notice again the teaching that because we are now in Christ, we belong to him. 1 John 3, starting in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Skip down to verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Again, we don't know everything, but based on these two passages, we know that our bodies will be like the body that Jesus had after the resurrection. Now, this helps us. This helps us because we can study. We can look to the word of God and see what the body of Christ was like after the resurrection and know that we are studying what our future bodies will be like, which is what we're going to do right now. Being a Christian means that you are one that identifies with Jesus Christ. And I don't think I'm going to shock anyone when I say that we should be growing in our faith to become more and more like Christ in our thoughts our actions, and how we live out our faith. But one of the constant limitations that we have in life and in our faith is the weakness of these frail bodies. Praise God that one day soon this problem will be taken care of forever when we are given our glorified bodies, which will be like that of our Savior. So let's take a look and see what Christ's body was like after the resurrection. This time, turn over to Luke 24. The background is that the disciples of Jesus were huddled up in Jerusalem. Jesus appeared to them, and notice what he said in Luke 24, starting in verse 38. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. At the crucifixion, the Roman soldiers pierced the hands and feet of Christ. So the scars would have identified here that it was in fact the Lord Jesus. Remember, over in John 20, Thomas said, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. At the heart of our text here in Luke 24, Jesus was showing them the proof of who he is. 
And notice a beautiful expression from Jesus where he said, it is I, myself. You see this. You see this in the Gospel of John. Jesus said this over and over. It is I, myself. But out of this experience, out of this encounter with the disciples, we learn that our future bodies will not be just spirits. Notice that Jesus said that he had flesh and bones. He was not referring to a fallen natural body like Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. The meaning here of flesh and bones is that these bodies, they will have substance. And we know this because Jesus could be touched and handled. There's a skeletal system represented here, which gives height and depth to this body. This body also has flesh, which gives the body its appearance. Back in verse 30 of Luke 24, Jesus sat at a table and ate bread. These will be bodies with flesh and bones. Long before the New Testament was written, best we can tell, It seems that the book of Job was written in the time of the patriarchs. He lived back in the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet think of what he said in that famous statement in Job 19. In verses 25 and 26, he testified, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And listen, after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. I believe the text suggests that Job knew back then that one day after his death, he would have a body with flesh and bones and see God. Keep a finger in Luke 24 because we will be coming back. But this time, head to 1 Corinthians 13. The next aspect that we need to recognize about these future bodies is that they will be recognizable. In other words, you're going to know your loved ones and they will know you. Our bodies will be like Christ, but they are, they're not going to be clones. Just as each of us is distinct from one another right now, so it will be in the kingdom of God. Skip down to verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Back then, mirrors were made out of metal. And Corinth, it was famous for making the best quality bronze mirrors that there were. Paul is pointing out that right now we do not see directly, but the time is coming when we will see face to face. At that time, our knowledge of God will be clear and it will be direct, because then we will be face to face with Christ. As believers in Christ, we know God, but nothing like it will be when we stand in the presence of God. Now in this verse, Paul kind of gives us a passing reference to being face-to-face with Christ. But he doesn't really tell us directly that we each will be recognizable and identifiable. So how do we know? First, in the Old Testament, when a person died, the Word of God testifies repeatedly that the person was gathered to his people. Listen to Genesis 25, verse 8. Then Abraham breathed his last and died a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac in Genesis 35, 29. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Second, think back to the words of Christ in Matthew eight eleven. 
that at the beginning of the kingdom there will be a great feast. And Jesus said of that time, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. On the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, Moses and Elijah appeared with Christ. It had been centuries since Moses died and Elijah was taken to heaven, but they were able to be recognized. Eventually, we will be able to have fellowship with Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Samuel, Moses, Joshua, Daniel, David, Peter, and Paul. This was the entire point of 1 Thessalonians 4, that the church was to take comfort because at the rapture, we will be together once again with the redeemed who have gone on before. Rejoice in this truth, that we will be reunited with the redeemed. Paul goes on to build on this concept of our glorified body. Skip ahead in 1 Corinthians to chapter 15. Pick up our text again with verse 40. Notice the teaching. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now, what's he saying? Celestial bodies are things above the sky and terrestrial bodies are of the earth. Paul is simply pointing out that the things of the heavens, the things in space are different from the bodies that are associated with this earth. Verse 41 is a similar thought. Take a look. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. The sun is different from the moon, and the sun is different from the planets. Stars make their own light. Planets and moons reflect light from the stars. So their glory is completely different from one another. Every star is different. Every planet is different. Every animal is different. And yes, every human being is different. You see, Paul, he's testifying in these verses of the never-ending ability and power of God to create. But here comes the lesson. Notice verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Our resurrection bodies will differ from our earthly bodies just as much as the different things that God has created differ from one another. In other words, when we think of our resurrected bodies, we need to expand our thinking to think that they will be very different from our bodies that we have right now. And we always need to keep in mind the amazing power of God to bring about the resurrection from the dead. Verses 43 and 44 in your text, still speaking of our bodies. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Paul makes four statements here that distinguish four differences that we as believers in Christ can expect between our present mortal bodies and our future bodies that we will receive at the rapture. And first, he says at the end of verse 42, that our bodies are sown in corruption and we will be raised in incorruption. Or as some translations put it, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable, perishable, corruption, decay. The bodies that we have now are subject to illness, sickness, and death, but not with our future resurrected bodies. There will be no more death, no more sickness. Rejoice in this truth from the word of God. And second, Paul teaches our bodies are sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. 
The human body goes into the ground perishable like a seed, but God raises it again imperishable. The human body goes into the ground in a lowly condition, in dishonor, but it arises again with honor. The body is weak when it dies, but powerful when it rises again. Sin has affected everything, including our bodies, but with our glorified bodies, the wrinkles of old age will be gone. Sickness and the struggle so many have with weight will be gone, and no traces of sin will remain, because our future bodies will magnify the glory of God. And then Paul wrote, It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. As we grow old, as we get sick, our bodies get weaker and weaker until we die. But our future bodies won't have this problem. We will never grow old, never grow weak, and we will have bodies that are capable of doing things that we cannot even comprehend. And then Paul testifies here, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. We need to be careful as we look at this verse to make sure we understand that this verse, it does not mean that we will be disembodied spirits. This verse does not mean that we won't have material bodies as we saw a little bit ago. The resurrected body of Christ demonstrated that he had a physical body. He had a material body. And even though he was able to do some pretty amazing things, he still had a material body. The terms natural body and spiritual body, it refers to the fact that our earthly bodies are natural bodies. They were created for life in this realm of existence, but our future bodies, they'll be perfectly created for living in the kingdom of God. Right now, our spirits live in bodies created for earth, and in the future, we will live in bodies created for us to dwell with God. Make your way over to Romans 8. In the context of Romans 8 is that Paul just got done mentioning in verse 17 that we are joint heirs with Christ. We will be glorified together at the rapture of the church. And then notice verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We've been calling this our new glorified body. Paul testifies here that glory shall be revealed in us. But what does it mean to be glorified? It's the final aspect of our salvation when we will be delivered from the presence of sin because sin and the effects of sin will no longer reign in our bodies. And what this means is that our new bodies will not be troubled with the things that our bodies are suffering from. There will be no blindness, no earaches, no aches and pains, no colds, no cancer. There will be no tumors hearing problems, back pain, or heart problems. But it reaches past more than just perfect health. It extends further than just having a body that never gets sick. Our new bodies will not be subject to the sin nature. Turn this time to James 1. James 1 has an important teaching on the battle that we face right now with the sin nature. Notice the teaching starting in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God is not the one who tempts us to sin. Focus on the teaching starting in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sin comes from within. Does Satan tempt us to sin? Yes, 
but he cannot cause us to sin because sin comes from within. Are we tempted to sin by the world? Absolutely, but it cannot make us because sin comes from within. Right now, the more we walk by faith, the more we walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, it teaches us that we will not give in to the temptation to sin. And even though we can moment by moment be victorious over the sin nature, it is a constant battle. But praise God, the battle will soon be over. Our new bodies will be without the sin nature. And we will walk in perfect harmony with the Lord. Now, the next aspect of our future bodies that I would like to address is that they will be unlimited by time, space, or even gravity. So for all of you sci-fi geeks out there, listen up. Head over to Luke 24 again. And remember the principle that the Word of God reveals that our future bodies will be like the body of Jesus after the resurrection. And we see in Scripture that Jesus was able to appear and vanish right before people. Luke 24, and we'll pick it up with verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. I have faith, but this honestly would have freaked me out. Jesus, in his resurrected body, appeared suddenly in rooms with locked doors and then disappeared just as quick as he came. Now, you don't need to turn, but just listen to a couple of passages from the Gospel of John. John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. John twenty, twenty-six. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. I believe the teaching of God's word is that our future bodies will be spirit-controlled, meaning that the body will be able to travel by the will of the spirit. Right now, our spirit is within our flesh, and the flesh, it transports or carries the spirit from place to place, but in our new glorified bodies, the spirit will transport the flesh. Some people think because they watch too much TV that we're going to have wings. Well, we're not. But instead, this transportation will be by thought through the will of the Spirit. In other words, you will just have to think that you want to be at a certain place and you will be there. And then finally, we learn that our new bodies, they will be eternal. Heading to one more text, 2 Corinthians 5, take a look at the teaching of verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This new body, will never, ever wear out. Age will not affect these bodies. Billions of dollars are spent every year just to make us feel better and look younger. But these bodies will have the strength and energy of the youth. And as we mentioned before, no sickness, no disease. And we will be able to use these bodies to praise the one who made it possible. These new bodies will be given to believers at the rapture and they'll be ours forevermore.
I was reading the story of a happy little girl that was almost five years old. She was in the checkout line at the grocery store when she saw a pink box with a fake pearl necklace inside. It looked so pretty to her that she started to beg right away. Oh, please, Mommy, can I have them? Please, Mommy, please. So her mom, she looked at the back of the box and saw that they cost $1.95. She looked at her daughter, who was staring at her with her big blue eyes, and she said, That's almost $2. If you really want them, I'll think of some extra chores for you. And in no time, you can save enough money to buy them for yourself. Besides, your birthday is only a week away. And you might get another dollar bill from Grandma. So as soon as she got home, she emptied her piggy bank and counted. She had 17 pennies. And after dinner, she did more than her share of chores. Then she went to the neighbor and asked if she could pick dandelions for 10 cents. And on her birthday, her grandma did give her a dollar bill, and finally she had enough to buy her necklace. Well, this little girl just loved her fake pearls. They made her feel dressed up. She felt like a grown-up. She wore them everywhere, to Sunday school, to kindergarten. She even wore them to bed. Every night when she was ready for bed, her father would come upstairs to read her a story. Well, one night, when he finished the story, he asked her, Do you love me? She said, Oh, yes, Daddy, you know that I love you. And he said to her, Then give me your pearls. But the little girl wouldn't. She told him, Oh, Daddy, not my pearls, but you can have Princess, my white horse with the pink tail. You know, Daddy, the one that you gave me, she's my favorite. He just told her, That's okay, Daddy loves you. He kissed her on the cheek and said good night. About a week went by, and once again after the story time, he asked her, Do you love me? And once again she responded, Daddy, you know that I love you. And once again he said, Then please give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls, but you can have my baby doll, the brand new one that I just got for my birthday. She's my favorite. She's so pretty. And once again, her father just said, that's okay, get some sleep, daddy loves you. And then he kissed her on the cheek. A few nights later, when her father came to her room to read to her, she was sitting up in her bed. And as he got closer, he saw that her chin was shaking and a tear was running down her cheek. Right away, the father asked, what is it, what's the matter? And she didn't say anything, but just opened up her tiny little hand, and inside of it was her little necklace. And with a shaky voice, she said, Here, Daddy, it's for you. The father himself had his own tears going, but with one hand, he reached into hers and took the cheap dime store necklace. And with his other hand, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a blue velvet case with a real pearl necklace inside of it and put the real necklace into her hand. He had them the entire time. He was just waiting for her to give up the dime store imitation necklace so he could give her the real thing. Sin ushered in death. Sin ushered in disease, sickness, pain, weakness, the sin nature and separation from God. Our loving Father in heaven stands ready to give every man and every woman in Christ something much better than what we have right now. So when your body hurts, when your body fails, when your sin nature is raging, look to the day and hold on to the truth that God is about to give us something far better than these fallen vessels. Revelation 1.18 teaches that the Lord testifies, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And listen to this part. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Christ is 
has the keys of Hades and death. And the fact that he holds the key to death means that no one dies unless he puts the key in the door. No one can kill me unless Christ puts the key in the door. No sickness can kill me unless Christ puts the key in the door. And no team of doctors can save me if Christ uses the key. Jesus knows the right time, the perfect time to use the key in the door. But when death does come, let us know that a glorious future awaits us. Look to the day when Christ will descend from heaven with a shout and the dead in Christ will rise. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus Paul testifies, we shall always be with the Lord. Return to the Word is a listener-supported ministry. And truthfully, it is people like you, those who listen each week, that God uses to help us meet the expense of a ministry dedicated to reaching people for the gospel of Christ and the teaching of God's Word. And so I want to take a moment to thank those that support the work, even those that give $5 a month or $10 a month, because those smaller donations, they add up. And we thank you because it keeps the programs free of charge so that others may learn of God's amazing grace. If you'd like to help us out, you can find out more at returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.